So I'm thankful that you're here tonight, and I think what we need so desperately in this season is the Word of God. There's a lot of ways that we can get information, and there's a lot of media and news outlets and social media, but I think the information that we so desperately need is in this book right here. And so tonight we're going to tune into this. We started a new series called Rock Hill Road Trip, and we're on a road trip, and if you didn't know it, welcome. And last week we were on the road to Jerusalem. And uh, we were in Luke chapter 19. This week, we're on the road to Damascus. And uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter number 9. And I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word. And I want to preach a message that I'm calling, There's Been a Change of Plans. Everybody look to your neighbor or somebody and say, There's Been a Change of Plans. You go ahead and find a seat. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. in this second installment of our series, Rock Hill Road Trip. You know, Seth and I were talking earlier today, and he's never been on a road trip in his life. And so please pray for Seth. <laughs> this is his first road trip. Welcome. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, it's a little less traveling, but it's been good though, right? Okay. Anybody else never been on a road trip? Seth, you are the only one. Yes, one in a million, one of a kind. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be tonight. If you're ready to get into God's Word, would you say amen? This is the powerful testimony and recording of Saul, his conversion. How the Apostle Paul became Paul. He was previously Saul. And so throughout this message, I might say Saul, I might say Paul, but you know who I'm talking about. And uh, Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And the Bible says this in verse number one. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way. Everybody say, this way. All right, you're the 6 p.m. service. You got to do a little bit better than that. Everybody say, this way. There we go. Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But uh, they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So tonight we're going to speak to this subject. There's been a change of plans, and I'm praying that I can be an encouragement for us. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the 4 o'clock service that we had. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our church, even in this season. God, I pray that you would bless this service and our time together. God, I pray that you would bless our online service and all those watching online. I pray that we can lean into your word today. And God, I pray that 
you would fill me with your spirit to give me the exact words that we need in this moment. And God, I pray that we would leave this place or uh, leave this online experience uh, having been changed and having the word of God uh, come to us and transform us and we can find some truths that we can apply to our lives, Lord. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, recently I was reading about uh, all of the weddings that have been canceled because of coronavirus. And it just seems like there's so many couples that have been uh, planning their dream wedding. And because of the virus, the uh, venue was canceled and they were no longer able to uh, go to their wedding and have their wedding. And one particular couple in England, uh, I read about this week, that they had been planning for 18 months this beautiful venue in England. But the venue called them and said, no, uh, back in May, you can't come. Uh, And that was a bummer. But even bigger than that, they said, and not only can you not come, we're not going to refund you uh, the money that you put down uh, on this venue. And it cost them around 20,000 U.S. dollars. How many of you would say that's a bummer right there, right? And so they were planning on having this event, and then the world changed, everything changed, and uh, uh, they were they were out of a wedding venue. But I thought about that, and I thought, you know, the world has changed so much just in the last couple of months, and uh, now we have. Uh, you know, schools were shut down and churches closing their doors and graduations being canceled and summer vacation plans are, are uh, changing and the world is constantly changing, uh, even in this season that we're in. And I brought a couple of pictures with me tonight. Uh, who would have thought uh, a few months ago that this is what the world would look like now if we want to go to the park, uh, we have to sit in circles. And uh, if you want to go to a restaurant, uh, the next picture, you can have a, your own little house uh, restaurant there, which actually kind of looks nice. I'm like, where is that place? Um, then the next one, Um, If you go out to a restaurant, have this little cone uh, around you for safety purposes. Like if we would have saw, seen those pictures a few months ago, we would have we would have thought this is not real, right? This this can't be happening. But this is now our reality. And I just want to encourage you tonight because while the world is constantly changing, and while our plans are constantly changing, and the economy is changing, and so much is changing, that our God does not change. Malachi says, "I am the Lord God; I change not." Jesus Christ is the same. Everybody say the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just want to encourage you that our God is still sovereign. He is still in control. And so while everything else might be falling apart around us, our God is still our firm foundation. Is anybody thankful today for the immutability of Jesus Christ? He is the same. And so when everything else is changing and we don't know what to trust or where to look to, we can look to Jesus Christ because he is the same. Now, the greatest transformation that anyone might experience in life, the greatest change happens at the moment of salvation. And the moment that you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there was a transformation that took place. And uh, there was a dramatic change that took place. In fact, our our mission statement at Rock Hill is reaching people with the life-giving and life changing message of Jesus because we believe the message of Jesus will not leave you the same. It will radically transform you from the inside out. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I don't know about you, but that just excites me and that fills my heart with gratitude that old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. That is the transformation that takes place the moment that you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ. You were justified. You were declared declared righteous in a court of law. The righteousness of God has been placed on your account. That is something to get excited about. That is something to praise Jesus about, that his righteousness is now on our account. 1 Corinthians 6 says this in verses 9 through 11, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And this kind of sounds like bad news, and it is bad news. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, 
uh, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But I love this next phrase. And such were some of you. Aren't you thankful for that phrase? phrase? And such were some of you. But watch this. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Anybody thankful tonight that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were redeemed, you were bought back by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That was the transformation that took place at the moment of salvation. And we come to Acts chapter 9, and we see one of the most famous transformations in all of history. In fact, many commentators say that Acts chapter number 9 is the most significant chapter in the book of Acts other than the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter number 2 because what takes place here, this change, this transformation affects all of history. And we see Saul of Tarsus, and he is traveling, and he is on a road trip to Damascus. Damascus, uh, many consider to be the oldest city in the world. That is still there to this day. In fact, I have a missionary, uh, a friend, uh, who is ministering in Damascus, and he sent me an email not too long ago with a picture that he was delivering some groceries and eggs uh, to some people in his community. And he's he's uh, ministering there in Damascus, and this is where Saul was headed. Now, why was Saul on this road trip? Why was he headed to Damascus? Well, we know that Saul had the intent of going there not to bless Christians and not to help uh, the Christians and the followers of Jesus, but to persecute them, to murder them, and to take them captive. In fact, the first time we ever meet uh, Saul in Scripture is back in Acts chapter number 7, verse 58. It says this, And they cast him out of the city, speaking of Stephen, And if you read Acts 6 and 7, you see this powerful message from Stephen. He's preaching about the resurrected Jesus, and the people didn't like that, so they took him outside of the city, and they stoned him, they killed him, they threw rocks at him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Everybody say Saul. So the first time we meet Saul is actually at uh, the murder of Stephen in Acts chapter number 7. And Saul was standing there at the feet of Stephen as he is dying, as he's being murdered. And that did something in the heart of Saul. He was not moved with compassion. In fact, he wanted more. He said, that's what he deserves. And I'm going to go all the way 140 miles to Damascus because I want to see more of this. That's who Saul is. And so when we are introduced to Saul in Acts chapter number 9, this is not a good person. This is uh, a bad situation that he's headed all the way to Damascus just for the purpose of persecuting followers of Jesus. But it's on this route, it's on this road trip that God gets a hold of his life. And aren't you thankful that God knows how to interrupt our plans in order to accomplish his purpose? And so God interrupts this, this journey. He interrupts Saul and he dramatically changes his life forever. And by the time we come to the end of this story, uh, not only is Saul changed, uh, not only does his purpose change, but the world is changed all in Acts chapter number nine. And so tonight I want to talk to, about this subject. There's been a change of plans. And I want to talk about how God can interrupt our plans in order to accomplish his purpose. If you're ready, would you say amen? Amen. I believe in this passage we find four components to God's plan for your life. Four components to God's plan for your life. Number one, we have to recognize this. God's plans are greater than your past. Anybody believe that? Uh, Right off the bat, God's plans are greater than your past. If there was ever an unlikely candidate to be used by God, it was Saul. And in verse number one, we read this, and saw yet or still breathing out threatenings and slaughter uh, against the disciples. So he was still doing this. And so apparently this had been taking place for much time that Saul was uh, breathing out these, these slaughters, these, these, these threatenings against the disciples. And uh, uh, it says this in Acts chapter eight, verse number three. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Everybody say havoc. 
The word havoc carries the idea and the connotation of a wild boar ravaging through a garden, that it's just destroying everything in its path. And that's how the Bible uses uh, the word to describe what Saul was doing to the church. He was wreaking havoc on the church like a wild boar just ravaging a garden. He's going through, and he wants nothing more than to destroy Christianity because he believes it's a heresy. And so in verse number two, it says, and he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way. Now, it's important that we understand what the Bible means when it says that Saul was looking for anyone of this way, because in the first century, the most common uh, way to refer to followers of Jesus was actually to call them the way. They are of the way. Now, why was that their nickname? Why did people call them the way? It's because Christians in the first century were pretty adamant about one truth, and that is that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. And so they said that so much that they developed this nickname, they are of the way. And so Saul in verse number two says, I'm I'm going, I'm getting permission to seek out anyone of the way so I can uh, completely destroy them. Now, I want you to pause and think about this for a moment. Saul was merciless. He was brutal. In fact, uh, the author of the book of Acts, Luke, who is a, an accurate historian, he makes it very clear and he points out that it included the women as well. So it wasn't like Saul was kind of showing some grace and mercy and kind of, no, he was destroying anyone that he could that followed Jesus. And this is the person that God says, I want to use to turn the world upside down. This is the person that God says, I want to use this person to be the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. This doesn't make sense to us because when we look at the life of Saul, what we see is a terrorist. But what God sees is an evangelist. Aren't you thankful tonight that Jesus does not see what we see? He sees our potential. He sees what we are in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you tonight. You are not defined by your past. You are defined by your position in Christ Jesus. And so don't let the devil jump on your back and say you can't be used of God because of something that you did. Let me just encourage you. God wants to use you. God has a great purpose and a great plan for your life. But so often we are crippled by our past. In fact, on earth, there are three records that constantly remind us of our past. The first record is our own mind. We constantly remind ourselves of the things that we've done. We bring it up. We think about it. We remind ourselves. The second record is the record of other people. Other people like to bring up what we did and bring up our past. The third record is Satan. He loves to jump on our, on, our, on, our, on our back, and he's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to get us to remember those things that we've done. And I just want to encourage somebody tonight because while we might remember our past and while other people might remember our past and while Satan might remember our past, our God has chosen to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has taken our transgressions, and he has nailed them to the cross. Is anybody thankful tonight that Jesus took our sins. He took our transgressions and our iniquities and he nailed them to the cross. God wants to use you. And if God could use Saul, he can certainly use you. And so when it comes to God's plans for your life, I just want to encourage you tonight that he wants to use you in a powerful way. He wants to use you in a great way. And we see that Saul had some plans for his life. He had, he had a letter in hand to go to Damascus. He had some plans, but God wanted to interrupt his plans. God wanted him to surrender his plans for God's perfect will. This is something that uh, Paul would later talk about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And uh, there's a lot that has happened in 2020 that has knocked us down, and we've been down, but I just want to encourage you, we are not out. And uh, there's a lot that's gone against us, but I just want to encourage you, God is still for us. And God has great plans for this season for 
for us as a church. I believe that people are going to be saved and lives are going to be changed. And we're going to come into contact with people that we never would have come in contact with if it were not for this season. And so I just want to encourage you, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we got to keep on moving forward. Now, forgetting our past doesn't mean that we don't deal with our past. So it doesn't just mean like, oh, it's in the rearview mirror. And so I'm just going to forget about it, never bring it up. Forgetting our past doesn't mean we don't deal with our past, but it means we're not deterred by our past. It means we're not distracted by our past. And so we have to deal with it and own up and have responsibility, but we can't be distracted by our past to move forward. One time uh, someone asked the famous missionary David Livingston, uh, he was coming back from the mission field. I said, what are you going to do now? And he said, I'm ready to go anywhere provided it be forward. And I hope that's your heart tonight. I want to move forward. Hey, I don't want to stay stuck in stagnation in this season, but I want to keep on taking steps. I want to keep on moving forward. I want to keep on pursuing the mission and the calling that God has for my life to reach more people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. We've got to keep on moving forward. And so the first thing that we see tonight is God's plans are greater than your past. Do you believe it? Number two, God's plans are empowered by grace. God's plans are empowered by grace. Now, uh, the grace of God is such a beautiful, wonderful, amazing topic. We could spend all night talking about it. And uh, the other day, my dog, Gunner, he, uh, he got out of the house, and he's not supposed to go out the front door. And we've trained him, and I've trained him, that when that front door opens, he stays, he stays put, and he's not supposed to run out. But the other day, the door opened, the kids ran out, and Gunner, he, he ran out. And uh, so I ran after him, and he knew that he was in big trouble. And, and Gunnar has this, like, guilty uh, uh, posture about him. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about when your dog just kind of, like, curls up? They know they're in trouble. And so he kind of got guilty and curled up. And I picked him up, and uh, my habit is whenever he escapes and he's not supposed to, I'm going to go put him in his kennel, and I'm going to keep him locked up for a little while so he learns his lesson, right? And I'm a very good dog trainer, in case you're wondering. If you want to hire me, I will take that job on the side. And uh, so I, I took Gunner picked him up, and I went, and I put him inside the, the kennel, and I turned around, and my youngest daughter, Blakely, was staying there watching me, and she kind of scared me. I didn't know she was there, and she looked at me almost upset with me, and she said, Dad, give him grace. <laughs> give him grace, and I was thinking, I was thinking, Gunner doesn't deserve grace, <laughs> you know, uh, but how could I deny her request, and so I let, I let Gunner out, and, uh, you know, grace is such a wonderful topic, and we all uh, love grace. We know that grace is such a beautiful, wonderful thing, but sometimes we are unsure how grace applies to our everyday life and how grace really affects us on a daily basis. John Newton, he said this about grace. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be, but still I am not what I used to be. Anybody thankful for that tonight? And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I think that's a, a statement that uh, Paul would echo, and he did echo in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is God's undeserved favor on your life uh, that we can be saved. It's the gift of God uh, that we can be saved. And here, this is what we see in Acts chapter 9 we see uh, the conversion of Saul. And so I'm going to read through these verses, and we're going to see uh, this dramatic encounter take place. Are you ready? Notice verse number 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. 
and uh, the word shine there in the Greek uh, carries the same idea and connotation of a lightning bolt. So there was this flash of light that just suddenly uh, shined around uh, Saul as he was on this road trip, verse 4, and he fell to the earth. This was a powerful light. By the way, when Paul was sharing his testimony in Acts chapter 23, he tells us that this was midday, so the sun was at its brightest, but this light uh, was brighter than the sun. And that is because no glory can outmatch God's glory, and no power can out, outdo God's power. And so we see that, that, that this light came, and he fell to the earth, verse 4, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul which is a very intimate and personal way to address someone. You see uh, throughout Scripture God uh, uh, repeating names when he really wants to get someone's attention. In fact, even Jesus on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, he said, Father, Father. It's, a, it's an intimate way to address someone. He says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why persecutest thou, thou me? Now, who was Saul persecuting? Who did, who did, uh, uh, the Bible tell us that he was going after in Acts chapter 8 verse 3 and Acts chapter 9 verse number 1, the church. He was going after the church, but here Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And that is because we learn that there is an inseparable union between Christ and the church. And so an attack on the church is an attack on Jesus Christ himself because the church is the bride of Christ. And so just like if someone were to attack or slander my wife, Katie, that would not simply be a slander or an attack on her. That would be an attack on me as well, because we are one. And so he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? By the way, anytime that we sin, we are ultimately sinning against God himself. And so he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, now, now two things about that statement. He said, I am Jesus. Uh, many other times throughout the New Testament, Saul and Paul uh, claims to have seen Jesus face to face. In 1 Corinthians 9, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he claims to have seen Jesus. Have I, have I not seen our Lord Jesus? And so uh, this was more than a voice. This was an in-person encounter. He saw Jesus, and Jesus said, uh, Whom thou persecutest, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, I think we need to do a little bit of investigation to that statement to understand uh, the full meaning. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, the goads, the spikes, and in ancient culture, uh, what would take place is there would be an ox cart uh, that would be attached to oxen, and they would put uh, produce and different things in the ox cart to, to travel and to transport different things. How many of you are, are tracking with me so far? So we have the ox cart, we have the oxen, and the driver would take a whip, and if he wanted those oxen to go faster and oxen to go faster, he would whip them and, uh, uh, to cause them to go faster. But sometimes those oxen are stubborn, and so they would get angry, and they would kick against that ox cart, and they would break the ox cart. And so the driver would have to go and buy a new ox cart or replace it or fix it. And so what they would uh, do is they would take some large spikes, some goads, some pricks, and they would put it on that ox cart. And so then when they would whip the ox and he kicked the cart, he would be kicking those spikes and it would inflict pain uh, on the ox. And sometimes those oxen were so stubborn that even though it inflicted pain, they would keep on kicking it. And that is how Jesus uses uh, the term to describe what Saul is doing. Saul, you are kicking against the pricks. In your stubbornness and with your lack of surrender, you are inflicting more pain on your life. You know, the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. So often in life, we are inflicting more pain on ourselves because we are unwilling to surrender to the plan of God and to the will of God. And so Jesus says, Saul, Saul, uh, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he kept on, uh, he kept on in his stubbornness uh, doing this. And then we come uh, to the next verse in verse number uh, six. If you're still with me, would you say amen? It says in verse six, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do. And by the way, 
uh, the two most important questions that you can ask in life, Saul asks in this chapter. The two most important questions. Uh, and the first question is, who art thou, Lord? Who is Jesus? The second question is, what do you want me to do? So the two most important questions in life are, who is Jesus and what does he want me to do? And I just want to encourage you tonight, if you've never had a real relationship with Jesus or you don't really know who Jesus is, that's where you should start. If you've heard about Jesus and he just sounds like a nice person or a nice historical figure or a prophet or a teacher in history that, that said some interesting things, that said some nice things, but you don't really understand how Jesus can be involved with your life, that's the first question that you need to answer. Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. Uh, And so who is Jesus, and then what does he want me to do? So often in life, we're asking the question, what do I want to do? And, uh, and uh, what, is, what, what do other people want me to do? But what does Jesus want you to do? Uh, and that's the question that we need to be uh, asking. And so uh, he says, who art thou, Lord? And what do you want me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And isn't that so often like the will of God that when we are wanting to know a direction for our lives, we're wanting to know the plan of God, and he'll reveal just the next step? And we want to know the whole uh, map quest route, right? We want to know every detail, and so often we just have the next turn. And that's because we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And so he says, go to the next city, and I'll tell you what thou must do. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. Verse 7. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Saul is in shock. He's not eating, he's not drinking, he's not seeing. God was crushing Saul into submission. He was bringing him to a place of total brokenness. I wonder, have you come to that place in your life? Total surrender and submission to the will of God. You know, in American culture, we might use the term, uh, we're committed. We're committed to Christ. Are you committed to Christ? But I was reading this week kind of an interesting statement that, that in different cultures, such as Africa, they don't ask, are you committed to Christ? They don't, they don't ask, how committed are you? They ask the question, are you broken? How broken are you? Have you been broken of your pride? Have you been broken of your flesh? Have you been broken? Are you broken? I wonder tonight, are you broken? Have you come to the place where, hey, it's not about me, it's not about my plans, but whatever God wants to do in my life. And so we see that, that, that Saul has this dramatic encounter with Christ, and it's all because of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 10 says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He said, it's the grace of God that has enabled me and empowered me to do what I've been able to do. It's not my flesh. Hey, yeah, I labored more abundantly than they all. I gave it my best effort. I tried as hard as I could, but at the end of the day, it wasn't because of my effort. It was all about the grace of God. And I don't know about you, but this is encouraging because sometimes I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can please everybody. I don't know uh, what my next step is, but I just know that the grace of God is sufficient for my situation, and I know that the grace of God is sufficient for you tonight. So God's plans are greater than your past. God's plans are empowered by his grace. This leads us to the third thought. God's plans are covered with compassion. God's plans are covered with compassion. Notice verse number 10. It says this, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him he said, the, uh, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And so we're introduced to this character, this disciple named Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. 
And in the book of Acts, we meet three different people that are named Ananias. The first time we meet someone named Ananias is in Acts chapter number five, Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And uh, if you know their story, it didn't turn out so great for them, uh, but you can read about it in Acts chapter five. Uh, The next time we meet an Ananias is in Acts chapter 23, who was a priest who was also not a good man. But right in the middle, we meet this Ananias who was a good, godly man. He had a character. In fact, uh, in Acts chapter number 22, verse 12, it says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report. So he had a good testimony of all the Jews which dwelt there. So this was a good, godly man. He had a character. And God shows up to him, and he speaks to him in a vision. Notice verse number 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise. And go into the street, which is called Straight, uh, which is still there in Damascus to this day, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. And so uh, Jesus speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go to the street called Straight, find the house of Judas, and there's going to be someone there waiting for you. His name is Saul of Tarsus. Can you imagine what Ananias must have been thinking and feeling in that moment? Are we talking about the same Saul of Tarsus? Are we talking about the same persecutor of the church that has permission to come to Damascus to kill to kill us and to uh, bring us into prison? Are we talking about the same Saul that wants to kill me, that has killed some of the people that I know? You want me to go and befriend him? How many of you would have been a little bit nervous at that command? One uh, a slight uh, thing that might have encouraged Ananias is the fact that Saul was blind at this moment. And so if he was going to try anything, at least he was blind. He got that encouragement. Uh, but Jesus said, I want you to go, and I want you to find him. And notice verse number 13. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how, how much evil he had done to the saints at Jerusalem. He's like, I've heard about this guy. We've all heard about this guy. I know about Saul. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. And so uh, Ananias is a little bit concerned. He had a great character, but this moment was a little bit uh, scary for him. But then in verse 15, it says this. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, has, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. He obeyed. He submitted. And entered into the house, of, and, entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said... And I believe that the next word is one of the most powerful words in all of the book of Acts. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The term brother is an endearing term. It's a family term. Ananias came in and said, brother, you're in the family. Now, that goes contrary to everything that's within us because we would show up there and say, you know what, Saul, I'm here because God told me to come here, but I just want to let you know I don't trust you, and I just want to let you know I'm going to keep my distance, and I just want to let you know I know what you did to some of my friends, and I know what you've been doing and persecuting the church, and, and I just want to let you know I'm here because I'm supposed to be here, but I'm not forgiving you, and I'm certainly not trusting you. That's maybe what I would have done. Maybe that's what we would have done, but Ananias walked into the room, put a gentle touch on Saul, and said, brother Saul. That is a beautiful picture of compassion. And Acts chapter number 9 is a beautiful picture of Paul, his conversion, but it's also a beautiful picture of Ananias' compassion. I wonder what would happen tonight if the church started having some compassion like Ananias, if we would start looking to restore people and not just looking to reject them, if we would stop looking to criticize people and actually show compassion on them. I wonder what it would look like if some iron started sharpening iron and we would start to reflect the love of Jesus. Does anybody believe tonight that the church needs to reflect the love of Jesus and we ought to show compassion to people around us? The Bible says in Galatians 6, 1, that we ought to uh, seek to restore the fallen, to, to, to bring them back in. And we see this beautiful picture of compassion. He says, brother Saul, 
and he's showing him grace in this moment. I was reading recently that there was a survey done in 2019 that nearly two-thirds, 65% of surveyed churchgoers, they agreed with this statement. 65% American churchgoers agree with this statement. I can walk with God without other believers. So think about that. 65% of churchgoers said, I can walk with God without other believers. And the irony is, 2020 came, and that statement was put to the test. Because many churches are closing their doors, and we're not able to be with others. And what we've learned in this season is that we need community. And what we've learned in this season is that we need each other. Can I just remind you tonight that God did not create you to live in isolation. He created us. He built us for community. We were built to belong. Hey, we need each other. We were not designed for independence. We were designed for interdependence. God wants us to walk together and to strive together for the faith of the gospel. What we see is Ananias, a beautiful picture of saying, you know what? Uh, This might be uncomfortable for me. And this might not make sense to me, but I'm going to show love and I'm going to show compassion in this moment. I wonder what would happen if we started to show love and show compassion to the people that God has placed in our lives. We need each other. And this brings us to our fourth and final thought. If you have one more in you, would you say amen? amen? The fourth thought about God's plans is this. God's plans are greater than you could imagine. God's plans are better than you could possibly imagine. And when it comes to God's plan, there's going to be pain. We know this. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We know this. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We know that there's going to be pain. And this was made clear even to Saul in verse 16 where it says, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He was telling Ananias, I'm going to show Saul how he's going to go and he's going to accomplish my purpose. But it's not going to be an easy road. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys, it wasn't easy. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He said, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Uh, uh, Night and day I have been in the deep and journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. How many of you are like, I'm ready to sign up? That was Paul's resume. It wasn't easy. And I just want to encourage you that God never said things were going to be easy. He promises that there's going to be some crosses along the way. There's going to be some difficulties. But the good news is he will be there to sustain us and to give us strength in the midst of those difficulties. And he promises in John chapter 10 that I have come to give you life and not just ordinary, regular life, but life more abundantly, that that Zoe life, that overflowing life. He says, hey, uh, following me is the best life possible. It's not going to be easy. But just stay encouraged tonight if you're going through a difficult season because there is purpose in our pain. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, he talked about how he would would grow in grace during painful seasons. He said, I am certain that I never did grow in grace one half so much anywhere as I have upon the bed of pain. He said, you know when I really started to learn about the grace of God and when I really started to grow in my Christian walk? It's when I was on the bed of pain. God has purpose in our pain. But there's not only going to be pain, there's going to be power. And I want to conclude with this because I believe it's such an encouraging thought for us tonight. If you want to grab your Bible and, and stand with me as I, as I read this closing verse. 
If you're still with me, would you say amen? We're not done yet. Verse number 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight. Forthwith, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Watch verse number 20. I love verse number 20. And straightway, everybody say straightway. Immediately, right away, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. And when we started this chapter in Acts chapter 9, verse number 1, we see that Saul was breathing out slaughter and threatenings of the church. But by the time we get to Acts chapter number 20, that same person is preaching about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. By the time we get to verse number 20, he is lifting high the name of Jesus, declaring that he indeed is the Son of God. And I just want to remind you tonight that we worship a transforming God. We worship a God who is greater than our past. And we worship a God who is greater than our our sin and that he wants to use you and change you to do some things that you never thought were possible. Hey, our God can take a mess and transform it into a miracle. He can take a trial, a tragedy and change it into a triumph. He can take your sorrow tonight and turn it into joy. Does anybody believe that our God is a transforming God? He is a changing God. He can change our circumstances. That person that you thought was beyond hope is not beyond hope. Your situation that you thought would never get better and is beyond, it's not beyond hope. Jesus can transform us from the inside out. We see the power of God made available to Paul. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That is an astounding verse that we could read over and go about our day when we shouldn't. I'm going to read it again. Now unto him that is able. Do you believe that he's able? To do exceeding. Everybody say exceeding. Abundantly. Everybody say abundantly. Above. Everybody say above. All that we ask or think. Aren't you thankful tonight that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think? Got to read it like you believe it. According to the power that works in us. God's plans for your life are far greater than you could ever imagine. So often we think God's plans for our lives are going to be unfulfilling, they're going to be scary, they're going to be boring, which couldn't be further from the truth. God took Saul, transformed his life to Paul, changed the world. This all happened because of one encounter with Jesus. And maybe tonight you're here and you've never had a real encounter with Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you've never had a real encounter with Jesus. And I would say that today can be the day of salvation for you. Today could be the moment where you have a real encounter with him. Not just a little bit of knowledge, not just a little bit of experience, but no, an encounter with him. Bernard Langer was one of the best golfers uh, of his generation several years ago. And uh, he won the Masters Tournament, which if you know anything about golf, Rakia learned last service that the Masters Tournament is kind of a big deal for golfers. And uh, it's kind of like the World Series of golf. And uh, Bernard Langer, he won it twice, which is which is pretty awesome. Not only that, for a while, he was ranked number one in world golf rankings, and so he was at the height of his career, the height of his success, and he did an interview, and he made some statements that I thought would be helpful for us tonight as we close. He said this in the interview. I had won seven events in five different continents. I was number one in the world, and I had a beautiful young wife, yet there was something missing. 
the lifestyle we all, especially us sportsmen, are leading, it is all about money and who you are and who you know and what you have. And these things aren't really the most important things. I think people who have these things, they realize that there is something missing in their life. And I believe that is Jesus Christ. And Saul knew there's something missing in my life. And what was missing in his life was Jesus. Saul had everything. He had the best education, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, best education, best upbringing. But he was missing something, Jesus. And tonight, you might have a pretty good life and things might be going pretty well. But if you don't have Jesus, you're missing out on the most important thing in your life. And we need to have this encounter with Jesus where we accept him as our savior, make him Lord of our life. And today, if you've never done that, you can be saved today. Online, if you're watching, you can be saved today and have this real encounter with Jesus. It might not be as dramatic as as Saul's experience with, with light from heaven, but you can be saved today. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.